0: Our mission as a church is to equip the body of Christ to increase in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and with men. We're glad that you joined us for this edition of the broadcast. It is our prayer that this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Here now is Pastor Otuno with today's message.
1: You can put truth in the grave, but truth will not stay there. That's one of the things that Easter will tell you. Easter will tell us that you can nail truth to the cross. You can wrap it in winding sheets. You can shut it up in a tube. But that truth will rise up again. And that is the whole essence of the the, the Christian faith. That is the whole essence of the Easter message. That the truth of the word of God. That the truth that was personified in the Lord Jesus Christ. That the truth that was made flesh. No matter how you try to ignore it. No matter how you try to discount it. No matter how you try to relegate it to the background, no matter how you try to seal it up, no matter how you try to shut it up, it will continue to speak. And that is the whole essence of the Christian faith. For over 2,000 years, the Christian faith has been persecuted in every dimension. There are times when people, by just by identifying with the word Christ, that person is endangering his life to death. And we are coming again into that particular season whereby the Christian faith is going to go through another round of persecution because that is just the nature of truth. Truth will always, you know, truth will always elicit, uh, it will always elicit uh, uh, opposition. And we must must come to understand that the essence of the Christian faith is to be able to stand regardless of what the enemy throws at it. So as we enter into the Easter season, it is fitting for us not only to take a closer look at the symbol that represents the victory that Christ won for us on the cross of Calvary, which is the cross. But it is also very important for us to understand what happened on that cross. Okay? Okay. It is good for us to understand what the symbol of the cross. The cross is not a jewelry that we put around our neck. Okay, it used to be a symbol of shame. It used to be a symbol of persecution. It used to be a symbol of the condemned. When a man carries the cross, it shows that that person has been condemned to die. But the symbol of the cross has now been turned into a fashion statement. But we need to go back and understand it. If we are entering into this Easter season, we need to go back and understand what the cross means and what actually happened on the cross. And that's why throughout the whole month of March, we are going to be looking at what happened at Calvary. What happened at Calvary. And the reason we are taking a closer look at what happened at Calvary is because, number one, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is central to the Christian message. If you take away the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no longer Christian message. So that is one of the reasons why we're looking at it. Number two reason why we're looking at it is because the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ reveals the character of Christ. Many of us who do, you know, if if we don't know any passage of the scripture by heart, we know this particular passage of the scripture. Which is that, for God loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the character of God. That is the message of salvation. That is the whole essence of the Christian faith. You know, summarized in a very, very simple and concise fashion. So, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ reveals the character of Christ. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ reveals God's Love for sinners for God so loved the world. That is what the that's what the Bible tells us. The cross of Lord Jesus Christ reveals the love of the, the, the God's love for lost sinners. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ also reveals how God's perfect justice was met upon the cross. The Bible tells us that the eyes of the Almighty God is so pure that He cannot behold iniquity. In other words, anywhere you see sin, God will judge sin. Regardless of where he finds it, regardless of who practicing it. So you find that on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, God's perfect justice was satisfied on that particular cross. And then most importantly, you cannot understand what Jesus did for us. You cannot understand the salvation that he bought with his blood. You cannot understand the sacrifice that happened on the cross of Calvary if you don't understand the need for the cross. If you don't understand what why Christ had to die on the cross, you will not understand the importance of his death on the cross. Okay, So to understand the need for the for, for, for Calvary, to understand why Christ had to go there, why Christ has to die on the cross of Calvary, there are three things that I'm going to be talking about briefly this morning. Three things that we need to understand. We need to understand number one, the nature of God. Number two, the nature of man. And number three, the nature of sin. We need to understand the nature of God. We need to understand the nature of man. We need to understand the nature of sin. Because when you understand the nature of God, and you understand the nature of man, and you understand the nature of sin, then you will understand why Jesus had to come and die. Why the sacrifice had to be on the cross of Calvary. And why he had to rise up from the dead again. Because these are the three things that actually define the destiny. The past, the present, and the future of man. The nature of God. Let's start there. We all know the Bible tells in the book of Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter four, reading from verse number 13, neither is any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, the God that we serve is an all-knowing God. Theologically, they call it the God that is omniscient, omniscient God. In other words, he knows everything. God knows everything. That is one of the character and the nature of God. The second nature of God is that he's an omnipotent God. In other words, He's all powerful. In Psalm sixty-two, reading from verse eleven, Psalm sixty-two, reading from verse eleven, the Bible says, "God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, That all power belongs unto God. In other words, God has all the power. Apart from he ha- apart from the fact that He has, a, He knows everything. He has all the power. He's also all present. God always present." He's the omnipresent God. In other words, in verse uh, in Psalm one thirty nine, reading from verse number seven, the Bible says, "Whither shall I go from Thy Spirit? Or whither shall I flee from Thy presence?" And this is David talking. David is saying, "If I go to the, if I bury myself under the earth, Your presence is there. If I go into the highest mountain, Your presence is there. If I go in the depth of the sea, Your presence is there. In other words, I cannot escape the presence of the Almighty God. So God is all knowing. God is everywhere, and God is, you know, God is." Ever present and God is all-powerful that is the nature of God not only that in the book of first Peter chapter 1 first Peter chapter 1. Reading from verse number 16, the Bible tell you, tells us that. It says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. In other words, God is not only powerful. He's not only present. He's not only all-knowing. He's also a very holy God. The Bible tells us that God is a holy God. It said, Be ye holy, just like I am holy. Another character of God is that God is love. First John chapter 4, reading from verse number 8, it tells us God is love. Okay? God is love. So, God is holy. God is Lord God is all knowing God is all powerful God is all present that those are the character of God but one of that character of God that most people do not emphasize is the, is the character that is found in the book of uh, Psalm Psalm 89 reading from verse 14 Psalm 89, reading from verse 14. The Bible says, Justice and judgment are the habitations of thy throne. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. In other words, as God is holy, God is ju- uh, God is love, God is all present, God is all-knowing, God is all powerful. God is also a just God. Amen. In other words, there is no unrighteousness in God. God is not an unjust God. The Bible says, justice and judgment are the habitations of thy throne so god is a god of justice god is a god of what of just uh, of justice god is a just god so if god is holy if god is righteous if god is all powerful if god is all knowing if god is all present and god is a just god do you think that that same god will ignore the things that are opposed to his nature no God will not ignore the things that we do that are contrary to His will. God will not ignore the things that we do that are contrary to His plan and purpose. God will not ignore any man that goes against His own, that goes against the precept that He has laid down. And that is why you need the cross. But before we get to that, you see the nature of God, the nature and the character of God. How God is holy, how God is perfect, how God is just. How God is uh, all present, all knowing and all powerful. Now let's compare that nature with the nature of man. The nature of man. Because to understand the need for Calvary, you must understand the need of man. The nature of man. What is the nature of man? The nature of man, if you read the book of John chapter 4. John chapter 4 reading from verse number 24, the Bible says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, if you go also to the book of Genesis, the Bible says, let us make man in our own image. In other words, man, the nature of God is God. Man is created in the image of God. Man has the character and the nature of God, and we're not talking about the physical nature we are not talking about a man. You are not talking about when you see God, you will see a man standing. No, you see the nature of God in terms of the nature of personality. You are talking about in terms of attribute. You are talking about in terms of creativity. You are talking in terms of in in in, in, the, in, the, in the nature of knowing man, knowing good from bad, knowing good from evil. That is the nature of God. That is the nature of man because man is created in the image of God. The image of God. that we have, The image of God. A man is an image of his personality the image of his nature now the second thing about the nature of man that man is a tripartite nature is a tripartite creature and that means man has what is called a body it has a soul and it has a spirit man has a body the one you're looking at right now it has a soul which is more of an intellect a, a commingling there's an intermediary between his spirit and his body and then he has a spirit the spirit of the of man is what god communicates to the soul of the man is what interprets the information that God has given to him and the physical body carries out the information. In other words, when you sleep, there are times when you receive a deep revelation from the almighty God. God is speaking to your spirit and is giving you instruction of what to do when you, how you will obey that instruction is a function of what your soul does with that information. If your soul picks up that information and believes that information, he instructs your body that this is what the Lord is expecting you to do, then your body begins to carry out that information. That is how the whole body is made. That's how they That's how they operate together. So man is made up of body, soul, and spirit. And the Bible tells them, Genesis chapter 2, reading from verse number 7, it said, And the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nosery the breath of life and man became a living soul you will see the three natures there the bible says that the lord formed man out of the dust of the ground which is this body okay And he breathed into his nostril the breath of life, which is his spirit. And the Bible said that man became a living soul, which is that particular intermediate portion that communicates between the spirit and the body of a man. So what you do with it depends, you know, what your body does is a function of information that is interpreted in the soul and is based on the information received from God. So man is a body, soul, and spirit. The the third nature of man is that man is referred to as totally depraved. In other words, man was created good. But according to the teachings of the scriptures, Genesis chapter 3, the Bible tells us that the enemy deceived man and man fell. In Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, reading from verse number 23, the Bible tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, there is nobody that can claim any form of righteousness. There's nobody who can stand and say, yes, I've never committed any sin. There's nobody who can say that, yes, all my thoughts are pure. All my actions are right. Everything before God is fine. Nobody can do that. And that is why the Bible teaches us that we are totally depraved. We are totally depraved. A man is not a Christian because he goes to church. I hope you know that. A man is not a Christian because he goes to church. He goes to church because he's a Christian. All right. You don't stay. A car is not in the garage. A car does not become a car because it's in the garage. A car is in the garage because it's a car. You understand the idea? A sinner is not a sinner because he commits sin. A man commits sin because he's a sinner. That's why he commits sin. Alright? So the whole idea of this nature of man, we don't do, we, we, the things we do is not because we, is, we don't do them because we just do them. We do them because of our nature. The Bible says to the pure, everything is pure. To the wicked, everything is wicked. In other words, there are some people you can give them documents and show them that at least they will not believe you. Because in their mind, they are crooked. But a man who is pure in heart, if you tell him this is what happened, he believes you. We refer to some of those people as being naive, but some of them is just the nature of their heart. So the point we are making is that the nature of man is that he is depraved. Okay, the nature of man is depraved. Now the question is this: If God is to interact with a man, and God's nature is that he's love, He loves everybody, He wants to interact with everybody. God's nature is that He is what He is just. Okay, and God's nature is that He is holy. A holy God that loves everybody, but hates sin. How do you want to reconcile that with a man that is made in the image of God, but that man is depraved? Okay? For those of us who interact with other people, there are people you love, people you like to enjoy with people, but you also hate people to be deceptive. You hate people to lie to you. Okay? How do you want to maintain a relationship with somebody whose basic character is to lie? If that person tells you good morning, the first thing you do is you check if it is actually good morning. Okay? If that person tells you the sun is up, you have to bring your umbrella just in case that that happens. You know, how then do you reconcile your relationship with that kind of a human being? If a man loves to fellowship with people, Enjoys the company of people, enjoys to give to people. But the people he's dealing with are people who are liars, people who will not, you know, who are looking for a way to cheat him out. How do you reconcile these two? How do you reconcile these two? That is the situation that God is in. Okay, God is a holy God, God is a righteous God, God is a loving God, but God hates sin. Man is made in his image, man wants to fellowship with God, but man is depraved. And the depravity of man is not just just isolated. The depravity of man is universal. The depravity of man is universal. In other words, every one of them you see is depraved. Every one of them you see is depraved. If you look at the book of Genesis chapter 6, reading from verse number 5, the Bible says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. That every imagination of the thought of his heart was evil continually. In other words, God was actually looking for somebody out of them. But the Bible said that he saw that the wickedness of man was great. And that every imagination of his thoughts were evil continually. So he looked at it and said, how can I deal with these people? The depravity of man is universal. And God will now say, the depravity of man is not just universal. The depravity of man is actually in right inside his heart. If you look at the book of Jeremiah chapter 17... Jeremiah 17, reading from verse 9, the Bible tells us there. it said the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked, who can know it? And that is why a preacher can stand in here huh, and tell you thou shall not commit sin. And that same preacher is stealing from the church money. That same preacher is sleeping with the church members. That same preacher is cheating. And that present preacher is organizing how to steal from somebody else. And that same preacher will stand in front of the pulpit and say thou shall not commit sin. That is the condition of the human heart. The human heart, the Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And, uh, and desperately wicked. So who can know it? This is the condition that God is dealing with. Okay? This is the condition that God is dealing with. And we are talking about people who is, we are talking about a deceitfulness that has happened universally. A deceitfulness that is inside the heart. A deceitfulness that started even when they were children, when they were born. How do you, do you think that a parent, after they have a toddler, maybe the child becomes around one or two years old, do you think that any parent in their right mind will sit a child down and say now junior you have come into this world you are about one year old you now look you know it seems that you need to begin to understand how the world operates this is how you lie the parent will not tell that boy say junior this is how you lie i begin to teach him how to lie or say junior this is how you cheat and begin to tell the children how to cheat or this is how you do this no parent in his right mind no parent in his right mind will ever do that no child is ever taught how to steal, how to cheat, how to lie, or how to do anything. You look at a little boy, if they catch that little boy's hands in the cookie jar, or they put his hand and he's put the, or the cake is all over his mouth and they say junior, what are you doing? He say nothing, but there's cake all over your face, and he's still saying nothing. In other words, the depravity in the heart of man is not only universal. It's not only in the heart. It is something that started right from the womb. And that is what David was saying in, in, in Psalm 51. Reading from verse number 5, the Bible says, Behold, I was shaping in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, the sin and the condition of man started right from the womb. And it continued in the heart. And it's now universal. And this same set of people are the things that God, you know, these are the these are the people that God wants to deal with. Okay? And in Romans chapter 5, reading from verse number 12. The Bible says, wherefore, by, sin, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed um, upon all men, so all have sinned. Okay? So sin entered into the world. And now the question now is this. How then does God want to deal with this issue? Because God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. God is loving. But the people is dealing with Their heart is corrupt. Okay? They are depraved. And their depravity is universal. Their depravity is in their heart. Their depravity happened even before they were born. Okay, so what happened? How do you reconcile this thing? Because when you are dealing with somebody who is holy, and you are dealing with some, and the person who is who is holy wants to deal with somebody who is who is unholy, you find out that they cannot commingle. They cannot talk to each other, and that is why the condition of man, the result of the condition of man, is that number one, fellowship. Man cannot fellowship with God on his own. And that is why, if you check, most of us who are sitting down here today, ask us to pray. Normally, prayer doesn't come normally to people. You have to kind of, you have to be deliberate about it. If you want to study the word of God, it is very difficult. Because those are the things that are not normal. In other words, there is a broken fellowship between us and God. There is a relationship that needs to be corrected. Okay? And because of that particular separation, there is what is referred to as debt. Okay and that is what that's what Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us. He said for the wages of sin is death. Yes. Okay? The wages of sin is death. But God wants to correct that. And that is why the cross became a reality. So for you to understand for you to understand the need for Calvary, you need to understand the nature of God. You need to understand who God is. You need to understand who man is. And then you need to understand why there was a gap between God and man. What resulted, what brought that gap into being? What made it, to, what caused it that man is not able to talk to God? Because if you look at the book of Genesis, I think Genesis chapter 2, the Bible tells us there, sorry, Genesis chapter 4, the Bible tells us there that Adam, in the cool of the day, God will be walking in the garden. And God will say, Adam, where are you? And Adam will have a fellowship with God. God will talk to Adam, Adam will talk to God. They had a fellowship, but something happened. When Eve was deceived and that relationship was broken, when God came for his usual evening stroll and he came and he said, Adam, where are you? The Bible told us that Adam began to hide himself, and that is what happens to us. You will notice that if you are angry, I want you to experiment it anytime. When you are angry, try and pray, okay? When you are really, really angry with somebody, try and say, Yes, God, I praise your neighbor. It is very, very difficult. If you want to take it a step further, let's say you are angry with somebody. Now take the hands of that said person and say you want to praise God. It is extremely difficult because fellowship is broken when there is sin, and that's what happened between Adam and God. God came down to that very evening, wanted to have fellowship with, I uh, wanted to have fellowship with uh, with Adam, but because of sin, the Bible says Adam said Adam started hiding himself. God asked him, say, Adam, where are you? Adam said, I saw you coming and I was afraid. Who told you why are you afraid? Because I know I am naked. Who told you that you are naked? Because you have eaten what you are not supposed to do. You have broken fellowship with the almighty God. So to understand the nature of Calvary. You must understand the nature of sin. What is the nature of sin? The nature of sin. If you look at the book of Psalm 107 verse 11. Psalm 107 verse 11 the Bible says. Because they rebelled against the word of God. And condemned the counsel of the almighty God. Sin is rebellion against the almighty God. That is basically what sin is. God is saying, "This is what I want you to do," and you say, "No, I am going to do this. I am going to do this." So, sin is a rebellion against the Almighty God. The nature of sin is that sin is disobedience. Colossians chapter three, reading from verse number six, he said, "For which thing, for 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 which thing's sake, the wrath of God." Comet upon the children of disobedience. So sin is not just rebellion; sin is disobedience, and disobedience is this is what I want you to do, and you come and you do something else altogether. So that is the nature of sin. Nature of sin is that number one it is rebellion; number two, it is disobedience. But the question, but the, the thing you must understand about sin is that there is always a consequence for sin there is always a consequence for sin. If you look at what the Bible told us in the book of Genesis chapter 3, it said that God planted a garden. And he told them specifically, said, do not eat out of the fruit of this particular garden. But He said the, the, the reason is because the day you eat out of that fruit, He said you will die. Okay? Which means, the consequence of sin is what? The consequence of sin is death. And that's what you find in the book of Romans chapter 6. In verse number 23, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. Yes. In other words, the result of disobedience is death. The result of rebellion is death. Now, a lot of people understand death to mean sorry. It means uh, (laughs) it means you die. You know, you 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 are no longer in this world. Okay, that's what a lot of people interpret death to mean. But death means several things. Death means separation. Okay, death means separation. Death means that you are cut off from the source of something. Death means that you are no longer functioning the way you are supposed to function. Death simply means that you are no longer as operational as you are supposed to operate. And that's when you talk about the fact that you go to the car. In the very cold winter morning, you put in the key to the ignition. You turn the key and the car will not start. And what do you say? You say the battery is dead. Right? That means the battery cannot function the way it was designed to function. Okay? When you have a proposal and you present the proposal to somebody... And people look at this and say, we don't want this proposal. When you are telling somebody about that proposal, they say, oh, the proposal is dead." In other words, if that proposal cannot function the way it was designed to function. It's no longer being acceptable. It is now being cut off from the source of funding. So death is not just physical debt that you close your eyes and you are gone. Death means separation. Death means not able to function. Death means not able to perform the reason or the purpose for which it was performed and designed. And that is what sin does. You and I, if you read the book of Revelation, the Bible said that thou art worthy. To receive glory, honor, and power. For you have created all things and because of you, they were created. In other words, everything was created to give God the glory. All right, That is the purpose of man. You feel alive when you are alive in God. You feel alive when you are serving God the way you are supposed to serve God. But as soon as sin enters into that relationship, what you find is that you are not able to communicate with God the way you are supposed to communicate. Let's assume that you have a relationship with a friend or for those of us who are already dating you have a relationship with a date or you're, those of us who are married you have a husband or you have a wife if you have a disagreement with that particular person even in a father son or the, in a father son or mother daughter relationship if there is a disagreement in that relationship how do you feel that the communication will take place there will be no communication Because you don't have that confidence to go into the presence of the Almighty God, go to the presence of that person again. You don't have the confidence to go into the presence of that person again. Assuming your father or your mother told you, you are supposed to be in this house by 11 o'clock in the night. Anywhere you go, I want you in the house by 11 o'clock. If you show up at 1 a.m., how do you think you are going to enter the house? Why? Because you know that you have broken a particular law. And it is very difficult for you to talk to your parents at that point in time. It is very difficult to talk to that loved one at that point in time. It is very difficult for you to have that relationship with that person. That, because at that point in time, a separation has taken place. Death has taken place. That is the result. Okay? So, when man sinned, separation happened. And because of separation, fellowship was also broken. Okay? Separation took place. Separation took place. Isaiah chapter 59, reading from verse number 2. The Bible says, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. It's not because God doesn't want to come close. It's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because God doesn't want to answer the question. He doesn't want to answer your prayer. But the Bible says that your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he cannot hear. It is sin that separates. It is sin that cuts off. It is sin that does not allow us to have access to the presence of the Almighty God.
0: Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Sunday worship service at 2711 Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee. We also host Bible study and prayer meetings every Friday at 7 p.m. We invite you to join us for our monthly Fresh Encounter Prayer Conference every last Saturday of the month from 12 noon until 3 p.m. Visit us online at www.lifelonganointing.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join us next time for another edition of Fresh Encounter. On behalf of Lifelong Anointing Church, we thank you for listening.